Hey, welcome to our podcast. I'm Phil Stringer, worship and creative arts pastor at Calvary Church. We hope you'll find something every week that inspires you and encourages you in your faith. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen so that you'll never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. for breakthrough in every dimension. Breakthrough those places of bondage. Breakthrough those places that we believe have been held captive. Breakthrough, Lord, in every dimension of our lives. Let there be a mighty breakthrough today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated if you're able. At the end of this service, we will be coming to the table of the Lord today. Those of us that are joining us online, you prepare yourself, get the bread and the juice prepared to join us for our time at the Lord's table today at the end of the message. You know, when you think about the Old Testament, you think so much about uh, the judgment of God because there was judgment that came upon people who walked and lived in disobedience. But the Old Testament is also filled with places that describe the love of God, the power of God's love. Such is the case of the message this morning. Hosea chapter six. Hosea chapter six, verse one. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will receive us or revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his light. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain on the earth. The book of Hosea is a powerful book that describes a tragic personal story that reveals the power of God's love. This is the kind of story that you would see in a tabloid, but it's a story that's been validated. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. The saga of of Homer or, or Gomer and Hosea is one of those stories. It happened in the nation of Israel. It's the stuff of which movies and novels are made. The scene opens in the city of Samaria. Jeroboam II is king. The era is marked by great prosperity, which is often the case. Hand in hand with affluence goes debauchery and indulgence and open vice. A permissive society was becoming more and more permissive. 10 years before, Amos, had spoken in frank and uncertainty about the coming ruin if they would not, if they continued in their sin. Amos was a picker of fruit, sycamore fruit. He thundered against the sin of his day. It was in this city that Hosea lived and preached. As a writer, as the writer said, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Hosea lived at a dangerous time in Israel's history. Both Rome and Carthage were founded during his lifetime. 
As you read the whole story, you find sin hanging over Israel like a cloud. Within 20 years, four kings had been assassinated. During Hosea's lifetime, the Assyrians invaded the land and carried off a great portion of the nation. At the time of Hosea's death, the entire nation had collapsed. You add to this a national story and the misery of a bad marriage, a miserable home life, and you understand why Bible scholars refer to Hosea as the prophet with a sorrowful heart. Somewhere in the wicked, horrible land of Samaria, the preacher met a girl named Gomer. Rumor has it that she, uh, though young in age, already had a past. Hosea would not be her first lover. She had the face of an enchanted woman, but her soul was no match for the great man of, of Hosea. And yet the preacher fell in love. Say what you will, that kind of love is deaf, blind, and dumb. He loved Gomer more than he loved anything else in the world. But Gomer was never cut out to be the average preacher's wife. You can't see her speaking to the women's ministries group. They're the most unlikely couple when, when they got married, and it got worse. He was a patriotic young preacher doing the utmost he could to thunder repentance to a nation that was on the brink of disaster. He knew that the chariots of Assyria were coming. He had to call Israel back to God. And a man in that kind of position, he needed a wife of strong character and positive faith. But Gomer had little sympathy for this dream of her husband. You can read it, it's all right here. She was young, she was pretty, she was sexy. She was made for the parties. And the preacher lay awake at night because the chasm was widening between him and the woman he so passionately loved. He bore that secret pain on his own. And then a ray of hope. Gomer announced to him one day that she was pregnant. Maybe now she would stop her flirtations and advances to other men. Maybe now, with their first child, which turned out to be a little boy, Maybe this child would bring them together. But it didn't happen. The preacher was destined for disappointment. The baby at home was simply another barrier to the street life that she wanted. She gave Hosea plenty of cause for suspicion. She was pregnant again and again. After the first boy, a girl was born and then another boy. The story is downhill from here. Hosea had reason to believe that the last two children were not his. In true Israeli form, he named the children in keeping with the circumstances. Israeli fathers always gave their children names regarding and surrounding issues of their birth. So Hosea named his little girl unpitied, unloved. When the other little boy came, he named him in Hebrew, no kin of mine. The days that followed were of great estrangement. And then the inevitable happened. Hosea came home 
one afternoon and Gomer was gone. It's not here in the scripture, but I can imagine she left a note. I've been in this so long, I, I, I know that's kind of stuff that happens. She left a note. Don't try to find me. I've decided to live my life on my own terms. You'll never be the man that I want anyway. It's better off for you that I leave. I've found somebody who really loves me and understands me. Doesn't even sign her name. Death is sweeter to a man than this. I see a father, a single parent now, who has to raise three children. Two of them illegitimate, probably. He hears them say their prayers at night. God bless Daddy, God bless Nanny and Jezreel. God bless Mommy and bring her home. God, bring her home. He paces the floor every night like hundreds of other dads and moms have done that were single parents. He looks into the faces of those sleeping children, the little girl that bears no resemblance to him, but she's pretty like her mama. His beautiful wife has become a slave to her passions. At each relationship, her worth is reduced and the beauty begins to leave her face. Disease turns her once beautiful body so that she becomes repulsive. But Hosea never forgot her. He never stopped loving her. He never stopped looking. He never stopped hoping. He never stopped praying. No matter what she had done, she was still the most beautiful human being in the entire world. He loved her. There's no reason for him to love a woman like this. And as Hosea struggled with his own personal life, the weight of this agony in his own heart, he questioned God like many do. And I think Hosea must have cried until his eyes became clear and his heart began to understand that through his tears, there was a telescope through which he saw deeper into the heart of the living God. More than any other man in the Old Testament, he saw infinite love because over his path of personal tragedy, Hosea came to the knowledge of, of God deeper than any other man had because out of this sordid, horrible tragedy came the magnificent picture of God's amazing love for Israel and the world. Gomer had despised Hosea. She had wronged this man in the worst possible way. She had dragged his good name through the gutters. But he couldn't forget her. He loved her still. He hears about her wild escapades and how the men talk about her in the brothels. But he still loves her. Gomer's lifestyle now had reduced her from a beauty to a pathetic ugly person. Her sin had broken Hosea's heart to pieces. And as he is dealing with his own pain, he begins to realize how much God suffers over the sins of his people too. 
See, God doesn't place this kind of story in the Bible for naught. This was put right in the middle of the Old Testament for an example. And I want to tell you, no matter how deeply you have sinned, he still loves you. No matter what society thinks, God has never stopped loving you. The sins that you and I have committed have wounded God deeply. He has been hurt deeply. It tells us something about the heart of God. God hurts. Feels, he feels the pain of our sin. I grew up in the church and my relationship to God was, as I've told before, is based on fear. You know, I just, I know God was waiting to zap me because he knew I was going to screw up. And the thought I had about God was a God of judgment. He's going to get you. And that wasn't a wonderful thought. Because that was the picture I had of God. I remember many, many times as a teenager, student, I was about to do some things that I knew was not right. And the alarm bells would go off inside of me. You see, see once you get saved, you're, you're messed up. You can't sin without alarms going off inside of you. God loves you too much to leave you alone. But the thought would hit me if my dad found out about this, it would crush him. I had such a close relationship with my dad. And I knew that, that uh, if he found out, I wasn't worried about the spanking. Oh, that was coming. Child abuse. Go ahead and tell everybody. It was child abuse. That's why I'm so good today. You see, when I grew up, uh, time out was how long you were, you were unconscious. That's what time out was. <laughs> and that's another connotation today, thank God. But I, I thought if dad finds out about this, I, I knew the punishment would come. But, but more than that, it, I didn't want to hurt my dad because I knew how much he loved me. See, that's the kind of relationship I should have had with God. That I recognize that if I do this, it's going to hurt my relationship with the Lord. Friends, hear me today when I say to some people in this room, God's not angry. God's not mad. He's just hurt. When you love someone as much as he loves you, he can only be hurt by our sin. And that's what Hosea was feeling. He was feeling this desperate hurt. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do I have any takers in the room? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see because of his love for me. Gary Paxton in another generation wrote a song that meant a lot to me back in those early days as I was coming to terms with who God really was in my life. And he talks in this song about the fact that he was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. He was waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. Look back over your life this morning. Remember when you didn't love him. 
Remember when you broke his heart. Remember when you said things and did things that cut and hurt and wounded him. Just remember he was there all the time. Hosea lies awake at night. He hears the breathing of his kids who loves the woman that has left them all. God is like that, you see. He has the capacity to love you. Somebody get this right now. God's capacity to love you is greater than how much you hurt him. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. But Hosea never stopped loving. He never stopped searching for her. He looked for her and one day, his search paid off. In the marketplace, he heard of a slave auction that was happening in a neighboring town. Prostitutes from the red light district of Samaria had been rounded up and they were being sold as slaves. And that day they took people who were disfigured or mentally or physically handicapped, they sold them. So I see him, Hosea, as he slips away from the house one afternoon. And the kids say, Dad, where are you going? Dad, Dad where, where are you going? And he kisses them goodbye and he says, I'm going to bring mommy home. And so he goes to the sale. And inside the building, there's this rough laughter and coarse joking. The language of the crowd. The sale has begun. Human beings treated like so much garbage. Hosea's heart is pounding. And suddenly he sees her. There she is standing with her head down. Her hands are tied. A shell of the woman he had married. But he knew her. He knew the woman that he had loved with so much love. A love that, com that completely defies reason. I don't see just this story this morning, friends. I see God searching for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they've sinned and saying, Adam, where are you? I see God searching for Jonah as he sleeps away in the hull of a ship. It's God looking for Saul at Gilgal. It's God looking for David after his total mess up. It's God, that's who it is. It's God searching for you. It's God searching for me. When you study all the religions of the world, every one of them have to do with man somehow trying to appease their God, trying to earn their way with their God. I once told you the story about uh, being in Narita, Japan, as, as I was uh, having an overnight there with flights watching these elderly people who could barely walk themselves, climbing hundreds and hundreds of steps up to the top of this hideous group of statues. Because at the top of those steps was their God. Somehow trying to earn their way, somehow trying to get recognized. Say, like, God, 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 help me, God, God, God. You see him trying, God. You see him doing this, God. 
other. The saints and servants of Mohammed, who six times a day face Mecca and pray so as not to anger their God. Is there anybody in this house that's grateful that's not our God? I said, that's not our God. You read it, it's all there. He came looking for you. He came searching for you. He came to do everything he could to draw you unto himself. You didn't have to go looking for him. He's been looking for you. He's been searching for you. I look back and now when I, I realize God's hand on my shoulder. I realized God being there in moments I didn't realize he was even there. I realized times when I should have been dead and God's hand was on me. Anybody else have those kind of moments? I remember those, those times that some of us don't even understand the magnitude of how much God has kept us, how much God has preserved us, how much God has, has got us through everything we've been through, hit the magnitude of his love. We don't even begin to understand the magnitude of how much he loves us. You know, as I, I sat in my, my room last night praying for this message, I thought, God, I can't even find the words to describe the magnitude of how much you love us. But Hosea goes to the auction. He's standing there in the midst of the crowd and he sees her. I can only imagine what's going through, through her mind. She has paid the penalty for her, her rebellion. She's paid the penalty for her sin. She's just a, just a, a, in the world's terms, just a piece of human garbage. Because you know, when the devil gets through with you, he throws you away. I said, when the devil gets through with you, he just throws you away. And imagine she's wondering who's going to buy me. How, how, how much worse can this get? But there was somebody in the house, a preacher. His name was Hosea. And he loved that hag. He loved you in your pitiful state. He loved you when you were in a street corner so drunk you couldn't see straight. He loved you when you were about to overdose and somebody was there to help you. It's the love of God. It's the love of God. And he stands there and the auctioneer begins. They bring her up on the stage. How much? How much for this one? Just a piece of human garbage. How much for this one? Two bushels of barley. And the preacher's hand goes straight up. But of course, there are other hands too. And the auctioneer says, three bushels of barley. His hand's still going back up. Four bushels of barley. And the auction continues. Five bushels of barley, six bushels of barley, seven bushels of barley. And I know Hosea, he's running out of bushels. 
He's running out of barley. Eight bushels of barley. And the auctioneer says, sold to the preacher from Samaria. You were not redeemed with just crazy stuff like silver and gold. I said you were not redeemed with stuff like silver and gold that you think is so big and so important, so powerful. If I had gold bars to give out today, I'd have a really happy crowd. Because gold, gold is the currency of our world. But all the gold in the world couldn't buy you. I said all the gold in the world, all the currency in the world could not purchase you from your sin. For you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. I said with the precious blood of Jesus. I see Hosea taking her off the auction block by the hand, leaving that building and heading home with her, cleaning her up as the kids just envelop her. I don't know how the story ends. I, I want to believe that she got back home and she got straight and she got right and she lived the rest of her life as a pastor's wife and three kids. That's what I want to believe. I don't know how it ends, but I can tell you one thing I do know. He loved her until she died. And the Lord put that story in this book in the Old Testament so that nobody could miss the point in 2021 that the God who spoke the worlds into existence loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It's unconditional love. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what the hell, you, the hell that you've gone through. He still loves you. And as we come to the table of the Lord today, we recognize the magnitude of that love. The magnitude of that love. The Bible says the word was made flesh in Bethlehem's manger. God in human flesh. He walked among us. He performed miracles. Again, he showed us the Father's heart. And he went to the Golgotha's hill and he hung between two thieves. And he bore my sin and your sin on that cross. The Bible says, as Jesus gave his life on that cross and cried out, it's finished. Darkness covered the face of the earth. Can you imagine? Darkness covers the face of the earth. 
And Father God turns his back on his son. He who knew no sin was made sin. And the father could not look upon that sin. And yet he was offering his son to die for that sin. And we come to this moment today having been redeemed by his blood, bought off the auction block by his blood. And Jesus meets and he develops what we call an ordinance of the church, which is an an acknowledgement that, as he said, as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare what I accomplished until I come again. And so today, again, on this Sunday, we take the bread in our hands. Would you do that? His body was broken that ours could be made whole. So Lord, as we take of the bread, I pray that you would minister life and healing and wholeness today in this house. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. Then he took the cup that represented his blood that was shed on Calvary's hill. The precious blood of Jesus. Precious blood of Jesus. Lord, let that blood cleanse us again today. Cleanse our minds and our hearts today. The power of your love, Lord, we receive the magnitude of all that you did for us on Calvary's Hill. And so, Lord, as we receive this cup today, I just pray for renewal today in our lives. I pray for fresh cleansing today in every dimension of our lives. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. With our heads bowed for just a moment, I wonder how many there are in this room and beyond the walls of this place today. You need Jesus more than you need lunch. You need Jesus more than you need anything this world could give you. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And his love, I described the power of his love for you today. And I'm asking you not to push his love away. I'm asking you to open your heart and receive his love today. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to wipe wipe the slate clean in your life. But he can't help you till you're willing to acknowledge that you need him. But if you'll acknowledge it today, I promise you, he will run to you with his love and his grace in this moment. It's me and you and Jesus. How many in the house would just say, Ron, you're talking about me. I need Jesus to touch my life and change it today. If that's you with your heads bowed all over the room, just lift your hand wherever you're at and say, Ron, include me in that prayer. I need Jesus to touch my life and change it today. 
Don't even be embarrassed or ashamed to acknowledge you need him today. Yes. Others right now, just raise it up high. I'm gonna agree with you in prayer. I'm gonna believe with you today. Yes, over here and over here. Others right now, that's me, Ron. Would you include me in that prayer today? I wanna leave this, this room today the way I came. Not, not the way I came. I wanna leave this room today changed by the power of God. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand back here and over here. We're gonna to believe today for a miracle to happen in your life because Jesus is a miracle worker. Others who wanna join these whose hands have been raised, include me in that prayer, Ron. God sees your hand and his, he sees your heart most of all. Just raise it up high, yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I agree with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. We're gonna to pray together, we're gonna to believe together for God's miracle in your life. I wanna ask you to do one further thing. Every person Jesus called, he called publicly just to declare themselves for him. And I'm gonna ask you just to quietly stand where you're at and I'm gonna pray for you right there. But you meant business when you raised your hand and you're gonna believe with me for God's miracle in your life in the next few moments. I'm asking you just to quietly stand where you're at. You raise your hand, just quietly stand where you are. I'm gonna pray for you right there, go ahead. Just quietly just, just stand right now. I'm making my stand for Jesus today, Pastor Ron. That's right, yes. Yes, all over the room. You raise your hand. Just stand right where you're at. We're gonna believe together for God's miracle in your life. That's right, that's right. Others need to join these. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you need to stand with people who are standing right now. You're gonna receive that miracle from God today. That's right, yes, 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 yes. Yes, we're in just another moment. Others are all over the room who say, that's me. That's me, Ron. We're gonna believe together. We're gonna believe together. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that he came forth from the grave. We can be saved, we can be changed. And we're gonna pray this prayer together in the next few moments. And I'm gonna ask if there are brothers and sisters that are near somebody standing, you can put your mask on. Would you just stand in agreement with somebody who's standing somewhere? If you're, you're, if you're somebody who you love Jesus, you just want to stand in agreement with that person while I pray for them in the next moment. Just, just be the extension of God's love to them right now in this moment. We're going to pray together. We're going to believe together for God's miracle. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, just pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I invite you to touch my life. I believe you came to this earth that I could be free. You gave your life for me. I invite you to come into my life today. Forgive me of my past. Cleanse me today by your blood. I acknowledge your love for me. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Thank you for touching my life today. I receive you now as my savior. From this day forward, I choose to walk with you. Thank you again for loving me. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, amen, amen. Oh church, let's stand and give God praise, come on. All over the room, everybody standing, we're gonna give God praise. Those of you who prayed that prayer with me a moment ago, I'm asking our altar team to come quickly stand across the front of the room. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm gonna ask 
as we begin to sing, you just step out and take a moment. Somebody, they just want to take a moment and pray with you, give you something to help you as you begin your walk in life with Jesus. And I'm going to ask somebody who was standing with you when you prayed with me a minute ago, just the volunteers say, I'll walk with you down there. It has nothing to do with joining the church. It has everything to do with sealing your decision that you made to follow Jesus today. We're gonna to sing together. You need to step out and come. I'm also opening these altars today for people that are here. You need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to agree with you in prayer. There's power in agreement. I don't want anybody walking from this room today bearing a need or a burden in your life. Those of you who are opening your heart to Jesus and others who just need somebody to agree with you in prayer, we're coming right now. Come, worship team, come on.